You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Today's episode is sponsored by JLS Automation. Hi, I'm Chris Scott, host of Meeting Pod and contributing editor at both Meeting Place and Altmeet Magazines. Our guest today is Dr. David Gerard, professor and director of the School of Animal Sciences at Virginia Tech University. His career has included conducting such groundbreaking research as image analysis for meat color evaluation and predicting water holding capacity in early post-mortem muscle, among other meat topics. We'll discuss his experience in researching and teaching meat science, as well as the current state of meat science school funding in recent years. Thanks for spending some time with us today, Dave. Well, thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. And a pleasure to have you. Let's start our discussion with a little bit of information about your background in meat science. You've been at Virginia Tech for more than 13 years, and also spent 12 years at your alma mater, Purdue University, teaching animal science courses and managing students in a lab. What have you witnessed in terms of the capabilities or enthusiasm from students in these programs over the last few decades or so? Yeah, Chris, that's a good question. I think the overall capability and the excitement for the area remains pretty high. And again, the caliber of the students that we have in these programs now compared to when we may have been in school is way higher. And part of the reason is, is these kids are getting more exposures to academics in high school. They have more experiences than we ever had. And so in some cases, they're better equipped to handle all the material and the information that we could throw at them nowadays. So I think I'm, I'm very excited about the current set of students and I look forward to the future because these are really talented people. Now, are there particular areas of research that have come into their own over other meat science-related research topics over the last 10 years? Oh, for sure. For sure. Food safety has become really the holy grail of meat science, and partly because we want to ensure the safest food source across the globe. And so that's always going to be on the forefront, and there are always going to be jobs available for students that have an interest in food safety and microbiology. The other area, which I think is kind of interesting, is these clean labels. And that's probably in response to consumers wanting healthy product and they don't want any unnatural preservatives added. And so I think most companies have gone to clean labels, which removes as much as that as possible. The other thing that's been brought up, certainly in response to this pandemic, is supply chains. In order to make some of these specialty products, you may require some pretty special inputs. And if you can't get them, you can't make that product. And I think those have resulted here in the last two or three years for sure. Now, it's clear that Meat Industry 4.0 can't happen if the number of meat science students and researchers are dwindling in number or if they are not properly prepared to advance the cause after they graduate and move into professional positions. What are some of the challenges you've seen in recent years that might hold some students back from future meat industry success? Yeah, you know, Chris, that's a a million-dollar question that all of us in academia, especially those of us engaged in meat science, would like to know. Certainly, we can foster and stimulate interest into 
meet science area. Of course, we have to be honest, many of these kids and certainly many of the students that matriculate to these programs, their idea, the first idea when they come to college isn't to be in the meat industry. And it's not a glamorous industry on the outside, but I remind these students that there are a lot of good jobs and a lot of good careers in the meat industry. So we can stimulate students to be interested in the meat industry, especially through some of these undergraduate programs and and certainly at the high school level. I think the biggest problem is, is when you look at postgraduate work or going to graduate school, the availability of resources to support graduate students, I think, has fallen off quite a lot. And that's a direct reflection of the amount of research that's occurring at the university in terms of meat science. And if there's not funding there, then our investigators can't hire those graduate students to get advanced degrees in meat science. Now, on that exact note, last year you gave a presentation outlining a decline in funding in meat science programs overall. Can you give our listeners a snapshot of how program funding is being conducted these days and whether the threat of offering fewer scholarships, for example, has increased or declined? Yeah, Chris, that's a, it's a really interesting topic to unpack. If you look at a graduate stipend, and that's the money that you have to give a graduate student to study on a yearly basis, that helps them pay their rent, gives them living costs, and also pays offsets their tuition because the university still wants tuition for any graduate student. If you look at the cost of that, that is approaching at some institutions $50,000. Now, $50,000 is generally, when I started my research program, that was a, a pretty sizable grant from either the pork board or the cattlemen's association or one of those commodity-based groups, or even with an industry like Monsanto or Elanco or et cetera. And so the cost of supporting these students has gone up exponentially, but the amount of resources that you can secure from various entities hasn't gone up as well. So the problem is, is if you don't have external resources from the university, the university is using most of its resources to support other high priority areas, for example, like artificial intelligence and data sciences and smart farming, which are all very valuable, but a little bit more in vogue, for lack of a better term, compared to what would be considered traditional meat science programs. Have you found, just on us on that note, have you found that the recent pandemic challenges have affected applications for meat science? researchers and students? Well, there is the government, the federal government has has really put significant amount of resources into sustaining meat and the diet. And I think the pandemic stimulated that. I mean, there was almost, well, you remember during the pandemic, grocery stores were running out of pork, running out of meat, and everybody was hoarding it. And then all of a sudden, these small processing plants were booked up a year to a year and a half in advance, and everybody was worried about where they were going to get their meat. And so I, I think in response to that, the federal government is trying to figure out how do we ensure that Americans have 
meet into the future if something like this would happen again. I mean, if you think about it, there's not that many processors in the country. And so a couple of them go offline. And essentially what you have is what you had in the pandemic is a shortfall in meat supplies. And so I think the federal government is trying to do that. And I think there's some regional meat scientist programs that have submitted some grants for these. And I think it goes to help us ensure the stability of our our meat supply. But I don't know that it's going to educate the next generation of meat scientists for the next 10 years. And I think that poses a challenge for these institutions who want to attract the students by offering programs that might address some of those upcoming issues, right? That's correct. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor, JLS Automation. Why is JLS the preferred food safe choice for thermoformer loading? Because experience matters. The Hygienic Talon Pick and Place system is loading thermoformers daily with raw bacon, steaks, poultry, and burgers with ease and accuracy. From IP69K rated Delta robots to open frame design and food safe tooling, the Talon is made to get wet and never gets tired. Learn more at www.jlsautomation.com slash Talon. Now back to the podcast. Now, what about funding for new research lab facilities geared towards students and researchers? Are schools with meat science programs doing an effective job maintaining and upgrading their facilities to offer the proper equipment and testing labs to help those research students continue to expand their levels of expertise? There's been... A lot of programs that have built new meat processing facilities. I was at the University of Wisconsin last fall, and that facility up there, my goodness, I've never seen one so robust and so capable. I think Purdue has built a new one. Oklahoma came online, oh, probably 15 years ago. Auburn has one probably 10 years ago. Nebraska, 20 years ago. Michigan State. There's a lot of really big facilities at some of these land-grant institutions. And I think there'll probably be continued support for new meat labs in various states, especially those that are engaged in a lot of animal production. So I don't see facilities really falling apart. The one that we have here at Virginia Tech, it's old, no doubt about it. They've been kicking around the idea of building one here. But of course, if you have a great big facility, then you have to make it work. And the problem is, is where do you get all the resources to make it work? And I think that's that's where we are, is a great big meat laboratory would require three or four technicians to run it, and then you have to make it work day in and day out, or administrators see it and say, well, why did we build this? It's not even working. It's busy half the time, and maybe we ought to do some food science research in it. So those are kind of the opportunities and pitfalls you see with building a brand new facility. But at least the money's there to meet the challenge if a school decides to go in that direction. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And again, and this is what I said this summer at RMC is the tricky thing about universities is you have to get these positions from upper administration and you have to convince them that the area and the discipline in which you want to study, for example, meat science, is important. 
And while we, especially your folks that listen to your podcast, they understand the importance of meat, right? But remember, we have to go all the way to the provost to get these positions. And when you're presenting the provost with a meat scientist versus an artificial intelligence specialist, you know, at the end of the day, what's going to win out is going to be that thing that is more fancy, more snazzy, more in vogue. And so somehow we have to figure out a way to sell these positions that are more favorable for upper administration. Now, selling it internally is one thing, and I can see the challenge there. Is it possible that some companies might get involved in funding some of these projects? Oh, yeah, absolutely, Chris. And that's a great observation as a director of a school. In fact, we're just going through that right now. And I have to convince 40 people or the faculty need to come to me and say, Dr. Gerard, one of the things that we're missing from a faculty standpoint is a meat extension specialist, right? So faculty are are kind of curious cats. They look around and what you want to do, I use the analogy at RMC, it's like having a bunch of tractors in your tool shed. It's like faculty member, you want these tractors out working 24-7 because you want return on investment. It's the same thing with a faculty member. If you put a six-figure salary on a faculty member, you want them out there securing resources to support the research program. Well, these faculty are pretty bright. They can look around and say, well, can a meat extension person bring in $250,000 a year to support a program? And when those resources aren't available on the federal level and you don't get them from an industry, standpoint, then it's pretty hard to convince faculty to want to put a scientist in that area. Back what you said is industry can support that because we have endowed chairs, right? For example, Colorado State has a Monfort chair. Well, chair positions are really valuable because that means a company gave enough money to support part of the salary, but also has provided the income from the endowment also provides revenues for that faculty member to support research. So these endowed chairs are incredibly valuable to those of us that are in faculty positions because they give us a way to support programs without going out and digging up money that might not be available at the time. So really good question, Chris. I'm really fascinated because you're right, there is a trend to set up these new facilities And the question from my end, just out of curiosity, is where is this money coming from? But you've explained it wonderfully, and now I get it. And speaking of funding, recently it was announced that the family of the late Ron Kritzinger donated $1 million to support the University of Nebraska-Lincoln and the Nebraska College of Technical Agriculture. That gift specifically will be used to help develop the next generation of beef industry leaders through an endowment for the Nebraska Beef Industry Scholars Program and through scholarships to high school graduates from seven Nebraska counties who choose to attend the university's College of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources. The gift also will be used to supplement a matching fund to prepare students for careers in livestock industry management, animal science, veterinary technology systems, and other related industries. 
Could this type of program be used as a model to compensate for funding cuts or shortages in the near future? Yeah, Chris, that's a that's a really good question. I think, of course, the answer is yes. And in fact, most universities are moving towards that model where it's a sustained amount of resources that are available. And I think most development organizations within colleges of agriculture and life science really seek out those philanthropic opportunities to get folks to provide those kinds of resources to sustain programs for a longer period of time. So I think that's really a great way to do that. These endowed chairs are expensive, though. You're talking about a million dollars at the University of Nebraska. Some places it's upwards of $2 million. But if you think of the interest rates on a million dollars, and this was before before the economic changes, you know, we'd get 5% return on an, on those investments, which would be about $50,000 a year. And when you start to slice those and dice those across high school students, across uh, beef cattle producers and graduate students, we need a lot of those endowments to support us. Wow. But a good model nonetheless, Chris. I don't want to poo-poo it. It's a great opportunity and And I applaud the family for supporting the long-term stability of the beef industry. Well, let's hope there's some inspiration found among other people. Finally, uh, what should meat processors start to expect when preparing to hire the next generation of recent meat science students as they matriculate and prepare to join the industry workforce? Well, Chris, we're going to continue to do everything in our power to get them educated to the level that we can within the resource base that we have. We're going to teach them the fundamentals. We're going to have activities that support their interest and their desire in the meat industry, but they're probably going to need some more practical experience. We provide them, a lot of our students work in the meat lab at Virginia Tech, and that's great experience because it's really hands-on experience why they're immersed in their education. But generally, we can't produce enough students. If we could, I mean, every year we have two or three that go into the meat industry. And I'm convinced if we had 10, we could place 10 of them. So we're just running at a deficit because we just can't produce enough to satisfy the need in the meat industry. But again, these are some very high quality students. I'm sometimes envious of these students with their skill sets. Some of them, when they when they get a hold of an area, they really they really grab a hold onto it and they really grow within the area. And so I'm still very optimistic about the future. But I think most companies say, give me a good student or a good graduate and we can give them some of the technical abilities, but we need to give them the, the foundation. And I think we're still doing that within the system that we have. It's these advanced students like graduate students where I think our numbers coming down a little bit because we just don't have the resources to support their education. Gotcha. Very hopeful though. Many thanks to Jay Bard for sharing his insights with our meeting pod listeners today. And thanks to you for tuning in this week. That's a wrap until next time. And thank you to today's episode sponsor, JLS Automation. Remember to tune in on Mondays to get the inside track on the people and the processes that drive the protein industry. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, 
or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Meeting Place and Alt Meet magazines on social media, and be sure to visit our websites at meetingplace.com and altmeet.net. Thank you.